you seekers, explorers and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. For today's discussion, we have a special guest, my friend and colleague uh, Luigi Ciambarella from the Monroe Institute in the UK. In my many discussions with Luigi previously, he always refers to the potentiality of things and potentiality of uh, human beings, the potentiality of this uh, cre- uh, this uh, reality that we are in right now. and. That made me curious uh, because it wasn't necessarily a terminology I've heard before. So of course I went away and looked it up and uh, uh, felt that you know it would probably be worth for Luigi to come on and talk about potentiality and free will uh, as a concept and uh, present that to our audience. And uh, the discussion you're about to uh, uh, listen to is the result of that. So without further ado. I hope you enjoy it. Here's uh, our discussion with Luigi and everybody else. Potentiality was a concept I wasn't really aware of until uh, you talked about it, Luigi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did have to look into the background of it and see where it came from. I understood it intuitively, but uh, um, it was interesting to see where kind of it came from. So the first quote is from uh, Ralph Ellison. Uh, who wrote The Invisible Man. When I discover who I am, I will be free. But the other one from Roy T. Bennett, which is more linked to the potentiality, is do not let the memories of your past limit the potential of your future. There are no limits to what you can achieve on your journey through your life, except in your mind. So now when I looked looked into potentiality i found that you know it comes from uh, aristotle's uh, philosophies uh, regarding uh, actuality uh, or activity and potentiality so really it's about what's our potential and what can we uh, what what or uh, what can be the actuality of that potential so what can we manis- manifest from that potential um that's those are the conversations we're going to have today and uh, before we get into that discussion but you can think about those for the moment i'll let uh, our special guest today luigi ciambarella introduce himself and uh, talk a little bit about you know where he comes from and what he's doing here <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks christopher um, what am I doing here? I'm not really sure, but we'll we'll figure that out as we go along with the discussion today. Um, I'm a trainer for the Monroe Institute in the UK, um, and but essentially, what I uh, do on a daily basis is I'm a, I'm a hypnopsychotherapist, and I'm registered with the UKCP, and I also teach for the uh, teach psychotherapists or th- psychotherapists in training for the National College of Hypnosis and Psychotherapy. And, you know, what? when we look at the, the idea of potentiality, it's it really reminds me a lot of Maslow and, and his, um, and I'm going to butcher his quote, but whatever man can become, he must become. That's, that's the idea of, of self-actualization, that you reach your highest potential available to you. And... Um, with with the work that I do with the Monroe Institute, 
we start with the the premise that you are more than your physical body that's kind of what we have as a dogma um and i would say it's the only piece of dogma that we hold that um you can perceive beyond your physical senses but what does that really mean uh, that you can go beyond your your limits in some sort of way and there are physical limits and certainly there are psychological limits and those are the ones that and and even certain spiritual limits perhaps that we we um have or uh, impose on ourselves or have had imposed on us and part of the work that we do is to go through an unraveling process to remove some of these things that get in our way now from that comes the idea then that we have something called free will because in order to be able to um, express our potential, our fullest potential, we need to be able to break free from certain conditioning. And that really is the, the roots of determinism, uh, to say that there's this very tight cause and effect and you can't really get out of that. So one that says, you don't have to buy that. You can always do something different. And there's always the potential for expressing something that really could have possibly been predicted by the system, uh, the larger consciousness system, but it's only through your actions, thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and so on, that it's actually expressed. So, um, in a sense, what I do with my psychotherapy work is help people to express more of their potentiality to sink into that deeper sense of self where there are more possibilities, there are more options available uh, to them. Uh, and them I'm referring to my clients, but it can be you working on your own path. And, um, and we know that we are influenced by, by our past. And even in ways that um, are outside of our conscious knowing, and this is where determinism comes in very strongly because, you know, we, we just don't know what our blind spots are, or the things that have, have shaped us to make particular decisions in life and that will continue to shape us going forward. Those can be influences from parents, but then they can infinitely regress it through their parents and, and so on. Um, cultures, societies, um, political divides, everything else, religions, um, massive influences that, that shape that potentiality in a particular narrow direction and make it seem like our choices are very, very uh, limited between maybe one possibility or another. In politics, it's between red or blue, uh, black or white, and so on. So this is uh, where our uh, potentiality is very, very limited. And we, we get glimpses of alternatives, and, or at least this is where I got interested in it, when I started doing a lot of dream work. Because dreams show you uh, possibility, they show you where you are, but they also show you possibilities and things that maybe you didn't know so much about yourself or things that you want um, or need in your life experience, but it just isn't happening in your waking reality. And so working with those shows that maybe we can do something slightly different. So th this is a huge, huge topic, and which is why I'm glad that there's so many people here <laughs> who might have questions and whatever in terms of where they want to go with this. Um, but just to give you kind of in a nutshell from what my perspective is, 
free will is available to all of us. We all have the potential for um, expressing ourselves in any direction. However, free will is something that needs to be cultivated because we have many, many conditions that, um, that are inherited, that are um, surrounding us. And so it becomes very difficult to express free will um, in a way that uh, doesn't put you necessarily at odds with yourself or others and, and so on. And so the, there are strong uh, forces that might prevent us from really expressing um, our free will. So that's why it needs to be trained a lot. And um, and whether that puts you at, at odds with your society, culture, religion and whatever, it's kind of irrelevant to the, the process of expressing free will, but it's it's built into the fabric of reality. And, and this is something that we can, we can all tap into and there are many ways of doing that. Well, the free will, I suppose, it's not only the external influences, but the internal uh, influences as well. So if we're incongruent in terms of what we want to achieve uh, mentally, as opposed to physically, to, you know, depending on where we hold our consciousness, right, or what aspect of consciousness we're looking at, uh, we can find butting heads internally as well. That, you know, my body might say, I want to go for a 10 mile run mm -hmm. and mentally we're saying, Oh, I can't be bothered with that. Right. So, uh, so then we, we, who is the one exercising the free, free will, our mental body or our physical body. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is the, sometimes where language can kind of get confused because there, there isn't really an inner and outer, you know, nobody mm -hmm. exists in a vacuum in complete isolation from their environment. So you are inherently part of your environment and you make mm. up the environment for somebody else. Um, right now, I'm, I'm part of your environment and you're a part of mine. So there isn't this kind of separate Luigi and then there's stuff, but actually it's all being, um, um, it's all progressing and evolving in this moment as, as a flow. And so, but then it's, there's this big chicken and egg kind of problem <laughs> which is um, those internal factors, where did they start? You know, were they always internal or were they influenced from the outside and, 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 and so on and so forth, yeah. you know? Um, and, you know, when, when you look at um, child development, for instance, uh, a newborn baby will just go and explore. There are no conditions on that. It will just literally try to shove everything into his mouth and, and touch everything. And it's working out the environment in relation to its body. And it's not even aware of that process. And that's what it's doing. But that's, it's not thinking, oh, you know, how far is that that object from my mouth and so on. But in, in doing that act, there, there's there's that working out. So the, the child is working out how all of the different senses relate to each other. Yeah, and then bit by bit, it starts to know where its boundaries are relative to maybe an external uh, environment and so on, where the thoughts are, you know, so it might think something and get really frustrated, and then the parent kind of, or whoever is looking after them, um, can can respond to that and then thinks that there's perhaps a telepathic uh, uh, connection, and then realizes, oh, no, I need to kind of express this by going, uh, making a sound, and then eventually, oh, yeah, that uh, means I'm alerting somebody to something, precursors of language and so on but then there's also the 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 conditions that happen immediately then mm -hmm. which is 
is the environment either rewarding or not, punishing perhaps, um, or withdrawing reward. So it can be not necessarily uh, a punishment in terms of, of striking out or something like that, but can be a withdrawal of a reward, where then the child immediately starts to condition itself. Yeah, so there's 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 factors within the environment, and 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 there's a response. So this inner and outer are very very intimately linked, and we have that now. You know, as as adults, then we know that we want to say um, something, and and but then we there might be a a voice in our heads that says, "Oh, don't say that. That's a stupid idea," or something like that. So you you censor yourself, and whose voice was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it could be that you've internalized a parental voice or a teacher or a, a priest or whoever, right? So suddenly, although it feels like inner, it actually started outer first. So there's a lot of um, a lot of work that needs to be done to sort of tease out where these influences are coming from and then maybe even start to carve out what actually feels like something I really need in this moment. Who's the I that needs something in this moment as well? So there's a lot, there's, there's a big rabbit hole that... that uh, you can go down, but also then come out the other side and know that, yeah, I'm very clear about what my needs are and how I express my needs and, and, and how I go about having those needs met. But I'm, I'm seeing that there's a hand up there, Eva, so feel free to uh, to chime in. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, I was excited to see this kind of conversation happening. I just joined Mind Valley and um, I'm kind of philosophical, so... Um, interested to see where that might go. Um, but yeah, as far as like free will goes, um, what I've come to understand is the inner, an attribute of being is sovereign choosing. And so that we have, don't have, we are a sovereign chooser. And I, what I've experienced is the closer that you come to that, then there's a sense of fulfillment. Like um, an example is my kids drew all over my walls and I had handprints all over my walls for like 10 months. And um, I was kind of having a hard time as well in life. And finally, like I started like waking myself up and rising up again. And I was like, I'm gonna paint those walls. And I just, painted and so there's like this sovereignty that comes up and it's like that's so that i'll just stop there because i could go on but thank you yes uh, th- thank you and you know the the you you can always choose you know that that's that's absolutely available to anyone or that what they can choose in any any one moment but it's not always obvious what what they're choosing from you know and and mm. so this is the thing that we need to work on and, and cultivate because the the choices can seem restricted because we just don't know beyond them and and that can be uh, part of our conditioning when we're growing up and, and we think that uh, this is how the world works because we have internalized models of the world rather than actual direct experience of it and and that is is so it, that restricts our sovereignty without knowing we 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 
choose from a very small pool of available uh, uh, decision space. And part of the work and part of what we do, in, like for instance, in meditation, mindfulness practice, it's all about pulling back from the direct experience so that you can observe it non-judgmentally and just noticing where your judgments come in and where, how those even came about, perhaps. It, it doesn't have to do too much digging into the past, but know that there are preferences that we have, why those preferences and so on. All of this peels us back further and further so that we can observe even more decision space and then choose from that perspective. So the, the ability to, to choose is always there, but, um, but maybe the, the amount of, of uh, choice is, is restricted. Carol, well, go ahead. Well, before oh, Carol goes ahead there, I just want to... It's also... Um, and it kind of goes along with what you were saying there, Luigi, but it's also looking at what aspect of myself am I making... Oh, uh, what aspect of myself is conscious of my free will? So there could be an aspect of myself or my consciousness that is making all the choices, but where, where I am in my consciousness is not uh, conscious of that. So for example, my mm -hmm. subconscious might be making decisions for me that I'm not aware of, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, hypnosis or meditation are mm -hmm. ways of discovering those choices that are being made for me uh, in terms of how I react to things. So, for example, you know, I always talk about fear and excitement is exactly the same signal in the brain. It's only our how we uh, or how we think about it that makes it into excitement or fear. Uh, so we decide uh, to tell the brain when you have this signal, it's fear, right? So if you're a race driver, for example, someone who's not a race driver would find that terrifying. But mm -hmm. a race driver, you know, going at those speeds and at the edge of their capability is excitement. Um, you know, same thing, jumping off, off a cliff, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, so from what aspect of yourself are you exercising that free will and sovereignty? So, and then, you know, if you take more of the esoteric aspect of it, you know, it, as a multi-dimensional being, is there another dimensional aspect of me that is then uh, exercising the free will and this part of my consciousness that is here, is that just kind of the this, uh, servant or the conduit of uh, this experience? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. It's multi-layered. Okay, so first of all, context is important. Yeah, so even a race car driver might might uh, get those signals as excitement while they're on the racetrack, but if they were doing that in the middle of London, for instance, they might experience fear. Yeah. Um, so context is 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 worth uh, noting, but then you know one of the things that we know from the work with hypnosis, but I mean like everybody knows this. You know, if you've ever sat there and watched Netflix or something and said, "Okay, I really need to go to bed," and then it gives you the clock at the end of the next one, and they left it with a cliffhanger. You go, "Oh, I'll go on. I'll just watch that next one." Right? There's a part of you saying go to bed, another part of you saying carry on watching. This is exciting. Or there can be a part that says, you know, I, I've had enough biscuits. I'm not going this, this is the last one. This one here is the last one. And, and then you eat that. And then you go, no, no, I'm not going to have any more as you're picking up the next one. 
right? This kind of ability for part of us to go, keep going, another part going, why are you doing that? Or that we've eaten something then, for instance, and then afterwards we'd regret that we did. Oh, you know, it can be eating, it can be said something, you know, why did I do that? Uh, if you've ever had the, the experience of saying, why did I say that? Why did I blow up? You know, why was I so angry? Why did I react that way? Yeah, that, that's why uh, I can't remember who it was. It was it Ram Das who says, if you if you think you're enlightened, spend a weekend or a week with your parents. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's brilliant. You know, it's, it's exactly that because, you know, all of those unconscious um uh knee-jerk kind of responses are going to come up you know you can paint yourself into a particular uh corner as a as a uh a story you tell yourself but actually there's more going on so often we respond from what would be called the limiting aspects of the ego there's a part of yourself that says that if i do these certain things in a particular sequence then you don't have to look at anything else <laughs> you don't have to look behind the scenes because you know i've got the right house and i've got the right car i've got the right spouse i've got the right number of kids if i want them uh, the right job and money and whatever else so i've done everything right and then i'll surround myself with people who've done everything right in the same way and we reinforce each other's egos yeah and then it's it's only beyond that that you know maybe something you know cracks start appearing and then a part of us starts to panic and say whoa 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 hold on a minute this wasn't it a lot of people have experienced that over the last year year and a half during the covid pandemic where they, they found that actually the things that they'd built up um which were supposed to give them a sense of security maybe financial familial all that kind of stuff has been flipped on its head and now ooh, i'm not really sure what where i get my safety from because there's something going around there and all this kind of information that's contradictory and i don't know what what to believe and and so that ego story of having done everything right and this would get you a ticket all the way to retirement and beyond has been flipped so this is, you know, the, the one that's making those sovereign decisions in that moment. But now we start to find that mm, there's cracks in this story and that there's maybe another part of us that's starting to see that there's there's more going on than, than we, on the surface, acknowledge. And I think this is what you're hinting at, Christopher. When, when, when I, for instance, go into a lucid dream, and for those of you that don't know, that's a dream in which you know you're dreaming while it's happening... I might start with my habitual tendencies, which are those ego tendencies. So I, I am still Luigi in an environment of observing a world of objects and, and acting out in the way that I would in this reality. Now, that might not be appropriate for that dream. And secondly, everything in that dream is me. So if I have a preference towards one thing and reject another thing, that's just me having a preference towards another aspect of myself while I'm rejecting another one. And there isn't really much sense to that when you're in a space that's all you. So the, the work is to unravel that preference and say, you know, why do I have that bias towards particular outcomes and particular uh, uh, things that are, are, you know, maybe even people and, and, and situations and so on. And then I can sink back and say, actually, you know, what else is available here? And, and then that this is where the potentiality comes in. When, when I go beyond the dream and, and allow it all to dissolve and it becomes this, this um, the, the void, and first of all, there's an observer perspective that I have with the void, and then I dissolve into that. 
this is where I really notice the potentiality when, once I come out of it because it's you know you, you, there isn't really a thinker while you're in it it's when you come out that you say what the heck was that and from that potentiality I, I realize that everything's everything's possible and everything's permitted there are literally no conditions uh, on what you can express um, which is a huge huge um, lesson and it, it really flies in the face of a lot of ideas that I was brought up with for instance which were about right and wrong and good and evil you know I was, I was raised as a Roman Catholic and so that that gets flipped on its head when it says you can literally do anything now I come out of that and think I can literally do anything but I also realize the value of free will in this system when I do express that from that potentiality so I realize that the, the choices I wish to make and this is a choice in this reality is one that helps others to increase their, their free will increase their decision space but that's just one game you know if somebody wants to go around uh, committing crimes and so on there isn't a universal punishment to that unless they choose that to happen at some level you know and, and you know maybe back home whoever's listening in will find that that's pushing your buttons a little bit it's like what you know there's yeah the, the system doesn't doesn't punish it you know it might it might restrict your choices going forward um, but it, it, there's certainly, and, and you could call that punishment, I suppose. You know, if you end up in jail, for instance, then your potentiality is very much restricted, all right? But the, the system in itself is just expressing itself. So it's all expression. There isn't a, um, a, a judgment attached to that. So these are the sorts of things that you can start to uncover in meditation and, and having things like lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences and sinking into your deeper self, what we refer to often as the higher self or total self. Um, it, th this is something that um, is available to you to, to explore once you start to maybe uh, pay slightly less attention to uh, what's going on in this physical reality and just pull back as, as much as possible for, from that. Yeah. And I, I see that hands have been up for a while. So yeah. Carol, you're up first. Cool, fantastic. Thank you very much. I suppose that when you were talking, Luigi and Chris, um, Christopher, I had to change my question several times because <laughs> you kind of, I feel like I'm surrounded by mediums or psych, psychics because like, I feel that you, you answer some of my questions. It's called um, mind reading. Yeah, it's called free will as well. Yeah, <laughs> free will. But I suppose that free will and choice, this is really interesting because I feel that there is... um that free will and choice sometimes are used as the synonyms and actually what the free will kind of implies it implies that kind of <laughs> so i see the kind of free will as um kind of spectrum that you can expand over the time because if you are not working on yourself like especially when you start meditating after some time you can get to this point that you know you are actually not the content of your consciousness you are able to watch something from the point of your awareness and you realize that at the kind of phenomenological level everything that you experience is just experience whether it's thought emotions or anything and if you are a lot of people are living with that, you know, chit chat and chatter that I'm my fault and that that free will or control that they have over uh, things that they do in life is very limited to some degree because they kind of always affiliate themselves with the thoughts or emotions, you know, yes. I'm that or I'm 
X. Correct. But, yeah. Um, when you start expanding it, uh, you kind of your free will kind of you've got more awareness about kind of seeing that you are not your thought or you're not your emotions and you might be able to introduce more things into your consciousness and experience more things and you be able to actually ask questions oh is it me is it not me where does it come from so is that free will at the same time would you say that the free will or expanded free will or expanded choice or however we're gonna refer to it is it that um quality of awareness and it's just being actually not deceiving yourself and being able to kind of detach yourself from the conscious from the content of the consciousness and at which point you then become stop you know start worrying that at I'm kind of, you know, it's it's human to feel emotions and, and experience those thoughts and, and things like that. So how how far you push it? Yeah, uh, well, you've always got to make choices. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of one of the games that we play here in physical reality. We're making choices all the time. Um, when, when I go into, when I practice a, a mindfulness um, attitude, um, I was going to say mindfulness meditation, but you know that, that's a cultivate an attitude of receptivity, and so that pulls me back from my experience. And I say, okay, well, this is new. You know, th this is this is why I always have this brain handy. You know, I always have a brain handy because uh, it's it's like my favorite prop. If you're going to get a brain, have one in your room. It's just just to remind yourself that that th this these two think differently. You know, these two hemispheres, and there's, there's parts of your brain, half of it the left side that wants to categorize everything so that's restricting 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 he's taking the flow yeah master in his emissary you've got it there he's bringing out two toms in the, the next month by the way so if you if you didn't know that um yeah Ian McGilchrist's work is just fabulous on this i'll give you the poor man's version so the, the uh the, the left brain is is creating categories all the time and that is is what i would consider to be the restrictive part of the self because although that's very useful, it's useful to have heuristics, shortcuts that say, okay, you know, this is something that I've, I've seen before, so I'm doing an object matching exercise and it saves uh, computational power in my brain. Um, it also might move me away from that right brain part, which is indirect experience with, with what's happening in the now. Now, when I'm doing that, when, when I can shift out of that categorization process and into direct experience, then I, I, I can expand my decision space. So th this is where, and then I can come back to making choices, but from that elevated perspective. So you're still making choices because that's how you operate. You know, if you, if you just sank into the, into the observer mode, which you can totally do, then everything's everything's permitted in which case you say okay well yeah everything's permitted but how do i actually function in this reality well to function in this reality is about making choices this morning i chose what clothes i wore and and whether to have a particular drink over another one these are just basic ways of of meeting needs right so the choices are made when you meet needs and and, and this is you know where perhaps sometimes things get a little bit um uh restrictive because we start saying no i i, I we, we preempted the 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 choice even before we've thought about it you know because of habits and so we say well actually every morning i have a coffee 
on that coffee from that brand with that milk or whatever. And so now it's like, this is who I am. Oh, I'm a coffee drinker. Um, and, and so I am, and then a label is the restrictive parts of the self because you're not anything like that. And I see this all the time in therapy. Somebody comes, I am depressed. I am anxious. I am fearful. I am phobic and whatever it is. You're not that. You are who you are, which is a process. We can call that a person, but your person isn't a noun. It's a, it's a work in progress all the time. Everybody's a work in progress all the time. And that is doing something or is choosing something. So, you know, the, rather than saying I'm depressed, for instance, I'm a person who's experiencing low mood. You know, I would probably be a little bit more accurate to what's actually going on in that moment. Or I'm experiencing low, low mood since, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago and until today. You know, that would be even more accurate in terms of the data. But we, we, we have these labels and we tend to label people like that. You know, look at what's going on um, politically. You know, you're, you're either a lefty or a hard right or, you know, that, that's that person. And that makes it easy for to depersonalize that person mm. because now I've created a category around them and I don't have to actually connect with the individual. I just have to collect with, uh, connect with their idea and shoot it down because I can know what they're thinking. Yeah. And you can't know what anyone's thinking, right? That's the beauty of, of having this separate sense of self is that most of the time we're kind of cut off and we can have our own private thoughts and that's just wonderful. You can't have that in some other levels of reality. It's part of the game of being physical, so that's great, right? But so this is where um, having choices is different to free will because, you know, I can have a choice of, of uh, pizza or pasta and... That really isn't free will. I mean, I might have a choice, but it's a very restricted choice. Yeah, so I, I, what, what is actually available to me and then choosing from there. And that might take some time, but that's good. <laughs> if it takes longer to do it, then you're taking your consciousness or this, the, 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 the whole system actually through you into places that perhaps it's never been before. Yeah, so that that's really where things are, are, are get interesting because that's where we develop when we meet almost like this this discomfort, um, which some people are very fearful of, but it's it's uncomfortable because you've never had that before. That's the only re you're at the cutting edge of your own personal development, so of course it's going to feel uncomfortable because it's new. Yeah, so this is, you know, where where the, that you really are exercising free will because you're you're going into territories where the the, the whole system doesn't really know what's going to happen. That's cool, right? So that's what I like to play with, you know, to say, well, you know, what can we create together? So there's this wonderful co-creation process that we can uh, get into as a game in in um, in uh, individually and and collectively. And this idea of um, uh, free will, determinism, you know, you can, you can look at people's experiences on a daily basis, observing the same event and coming away with, with different interpretations of it, right? So it isn't that, you know, that, that the decision space is, is what it is collectively. It might be that then you look at it individually and some people observing exactly the same thing might make a hell of it and they might make a heaven of it. 
right? And that is also part of the, the conditioning or deconditioning process to to spot things that are there and, and you know, because they're not really in in direct connection with what, what's happening in the now. They, they might be in a category space that, that limits what they can perceive. So that there's there's tons to this, and your your question's an excellent one, Carol. It's got many many parts to it. I hope I've sort of skirted around some <laughs> something that stimulates what you were leaning towards. But yeah, pull back, get more decision space, and then come back into choice because that's what we do. Yeah, and then that gives you feedback by making choices. Then you feed back into the system, and then you know whether you can do something else or not. Yeah. Oh, thank you, and it's uh, awesome to have you, Luigi. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, thank you, Melly. Um, so I have this question um, regarding free will. Um, I find it uneasy to um, work it out with this um, other metaphysical idea, maybe, that is that there is a soul path, some sort of a soul agreement before we start. Um, a certain life and that and that there is this idea also so of surrendering so michael beck with us i talked to it uh, vision in his teaching to that at some point um um you you it, it, you come to a point where you surrender to your guidance to your soul path etc and, and so I'm a bit in this conundrum um, of, of thinking like, like, if we don't have any clarity really on what is our soul path, what, what it is, we know we want to do something more, we want to we have stuff to, we want to activate in us and be of service, but there are so many options. And, um, and so activate, like applying free will, yes, of course, but the utmost intention is to be aligned with our soul path. I, I'm talking of myself. Um, and um, so, um, yeah, there is a reconciliation here that is not easy to grasp, I believe. And I would have another question, which is a bit more practical, but um, I think it relates to the idea of spoon bending. So to take it to a larger, um, to a larger realm, um, many of the great thinkers at this time um, talk about the fact that the power of the mind is actually so incredible that you could shift reality in, in terms of minutes. And um, so I'm, I'm just wondering, um, how does it work? We know that we can uh, affect matter as you demonstrate in your spool bending uh, exercises at the Monroe Institute. But to take it to a greater dimension, if we want to shift uh, in some parts, some realities of being more aligned, how do we use the mind power? Um, how do we practice to reach that point? Um, and, you know, what would be signals that we are on track? So. Here we go. Wonderful questions. Wonderful questions. Maybe I'll start with the last one and then do the first one, um, because we we just we just had a spoon bending session. Um, when was that? Two days ago. <laughs> and um, and you know, so this is um, a really really great question about how. Um, mind influences matter. I I really don't see it like that. 
Um, I see, and, and this is just my perspective, others might see it differently, that it's all the same stuff. And I imagine something into being and then it happens. And that sounds weird when we talk about influencing, you know, that, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to what we're doing right now, it isn't so weird. You know, we are connecting from all over the globe on something that existed in imagination. Yeah, there's nothing here in this room um, that wasn't in somebody's imagination at some point. Um, my beard included. You know, th- this is this is something that we, we, we create all the time. We are co-creating reality all the time. And and so th- this is so whatever you imagine into being uh, becomes you, and you become the imagination, and and it flows in in a cycle. So in order to 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 bend a spoon, for instance, then I need to realize that I'm not separate from it, and and then in my imagination something bends, something softens, and then the material follows. Now people do this differently. So people experience heat or some something that's just, you know, that feels very physical, like a temperature shift or something like that. I don't tend to get it like that. The bending happens in my mind and then it happens in my hands. So there's, there's, there's the, the, um, it's almost like I'm, I'm getting into resonance with this to realize that it's actually, I'm, I'm in conversation with it, which is weird, right? To say that I'm, I'm talking to a spoon. Right, but there were many people at the weekend who were talking with spoons. Am I right, Christopher? Right, (laughs) and this one didn't want to bend, he didn't want to bend. He said no to me, but that one said yes. It's like, well, what was going on there? I mean, you know, if you get a a, a psychiatrist in the room, they would say that that's psychosis, (laughs) right? Like, you're talking to to an animal object and it's it's saying no to you, as long as it's not saying kill, that's fine. So, this is you know, uh, one part of it where we're not we're always affecting matter because you know that's uh, that's what we do you know we, we it's it's a vibration affecting another vibration if you think of of so when we look at um non-physical spaces and say how do they relate to the physical well there isn't a physical and a non-physical it's all the same stuff it's vibration and this is a denser level of vibration compared to what we might refer to as connection with the higher self which is a higher vibration it's not better it's not worse. Higher just means that it's just a higher frequency. That's it. So, um, and this is a denser frequency. And and part of what we're doing here is learning to translate those frequencies into into uh, and manipulate uh, energy in this denser environment. Right. So that's that's one thing. Um, with the with the metaphysical idea of of the soul agreement then th- this is really interesting this is for me you know that's a great question um not to say that other questions aren't great but <laughs> i really love that question because what it says to me is it's a bit like what i experience in hypnosis you know that there's a part of somebody who wants to do one thing and then there's another part that wants to do something else who's got the free will there right now, if, if, if somebody wants to change something, but they, they can't do it for whatever reason, that, that tells me that one part has delegated the free will to another one. He's saying, you know, I can't work this out. Please do something. That's why they come to hypnosis. They want to work out how to get another part to be in alignment with what they want as a goal, which might be not to be so angry or whatever it is, right, to sleep better and so on. Uh, I work a lot with sleep, so that's a good example. You want to fall asleep, but your mind's really busy all the time. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're at odds with that, right? So what we do is we talk with the bit that is is kind of keeping you up. It isn't the bit that's, you know, doing all the, uh, the why can't I sleep, although that is part of the problem. But there's another bit that needs us feel safe, for instance, and there's all kinds of reasons why some people might might stay up. But when we talk to that bit, that's the one that's actually influencing. So we peel back from the individual, and what we find is that the the will is is not in the that ego story, that that thing that says I am this, but it's in somewhere else in that individual. Right and and in hypnosis, it's often referred to as cold control. Hot control would be that I want to pick up a pen and I pick it up because I consciously know I'm doing that. When I start getting like arm levitation, I'm not consciously controlling that. The arm is going up of its own free will, as so it seems. So it means that there's another part of me that is is controlling that, and that's why it feels like it's it's dissociated in some way. So when you look at the soul agreements, some part of you, the greater, the, the higher self, total self, however you want to describe it, is expressing its free will through you and, and nudging you along in some way, right? But you might be outside of alignment with that because for whatever reason, usually because of fears, um, the, the ego self, the part that tends to show up on a daily basis here, is, is out of alignment, is trying to do something else, is trying to protect itself in some way, and might lose its alignment with that particular purpose, with that particular path. That doesn't mean, though, that the, this ego self can't become aware of what's going on there. In fact, one of the things that we do at the Monroe Institute is exactly that. We have a program called Exploration 27, which is all about going into what we call the park, where these sorts of agreements are made uh, for most people, and you can have a look at what that path was and maybe even change it at that level if you find that, ah, actually, you know what, I tried that out and it wasn't quite going to the plan that I wanted and maybe I can change that. So there's always an option to update the plan. But you do it from the connection with the total self first so that you, you, you've got the full alignment before you come back in and, and, and make certain tweaks. Um, and you'll know when you're in alignment because things just runs more smoothly. You know, there's, there's le- fewer roadblocks in the way when, when you are in alignment with your path. You know, you say, and, and, and sometimes we suffer a lot because we're trying to do something that's really deliberately against that path. You know, you say, oh, no, I definitely want to go. Well, now you're on your own. You're outside of resonance with your total self. So now it's going to become a little bit more difficult for you to do stuff. It's not that you're being punished. It's just that you're not in resonance with your total self and therefore things will not run as smoothly. Mm-hmm. So you can still learn. Uh, but it's 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 a more difficult path. Yeah. When when things are more aligned with what you want um, at, at a total level, then you'll probably start to notice more synchronicities happening in your life. That things just turn up. You know, it's like you're almost like a magnet to the thing that you're aligned with. It's it just shows up more and more in your life, and that's really what what I would refer to as the law of attraction. Yeah, that it's not grasping from a position of uh, I don't have this, and if I if I if I had this, then it would mean I'm a better person in some way. So there's the, these conditions of worth attached to it. But rather, what am I really connecting with at a deep level? What do I align with? And then hold that space for yourself. So it's a receptive space that's coming out of almost like joyful expression rather than this grasping need. And then mm-hmm. things align and flow much more readily and much more, much more easily from that. 
from that position, if that makes sense. So you're moving away from this conceptual sense of I, which is what we tend to have here, that's restricted in its free will and expression, to the knowing I, to, to what might be referred to as almost like the gnosis. You know, it's you're tapping into the, the much more expanded self, the, the higher self. And, and, and this is something that even children describe when they're having their out-of-body experiences very early on. You know, I sunk into this deeper self and I knew everything was safe and all right from that perspective. And then when I came back here, I was five again. <laughs> You know, it's like what, what just happened? So you know, it, it, it that um, that sense of sinking into your deeper self, it will be guiding things in the background, and it might make it look as though from from the conceptual eye that you have less choice. But if you if you surrender that, if you release that idea that this conceptual eye has to do all the working out, and and sink into that deeper sense of safety because it's always there and, and it's part of you, you know, it's 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 always guiding. Then you'll become aware of it. In which case, you might even, as a conceptual, I think, oh, I've even I've got an even better way of how to express this, and that's where you're working as a a co-creative unit um, with with your higher self. If that makes any sort of sense. Yes. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah, and with the respect to what Melly was saying, there, uh, you know, looking at free will beyond the boundaries of this physical experience that we're having now. So you can then start to look at, okay, what's my free will in terms of being born and free will in terms of being uh, exiting this life, right? So uh, anyone who's uh, had some sort of a spiritual idea or idea of metaphysics uh, know that exiting or you know committing suicides and so forth is like the one thing that you can't do that's not within your free will right so what's the does would that then i would from my perspective i feel that falls within the the realms of uh free will from a different aspects of myself or this soul experience or this spiritual experience right what's your perspective on that Luigi? Well, you know, I mean, suicide's still just expression. It's just, it's going to limit your free will from the conceptualized perspective, and then you've got to come back into the system and have another go. Mm-hmm. You know, so it doesn't get you out. It doesn't really gain you anything. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, okay, it might get that conceptualized some respite from a very difficult situation or whatever. But, right. um, you know, when... when when, when we look at things like, you know, like in our Lifeline program of the Monroe Institute, like whenever I've encountered, and I've only had this happen maybe a couple of times, yeah, two times, um, where I've met somebody who's committed suicide, the, the, the energy is very, very heavy and there's a hell of a lot of judgment around them. So the, the punishment's a self-imposed one, yeah. you know, the, there's usually a, a huge resentment uh, or anger or, you know, it didn't give them the thing that they wanted. And so it, it becomes quite tricky to, to help them uh, move along from that but they do you know they eventually do and 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 so they, they come back in 
And, you know, sometimes people can, can choose to do that in a very, very conscious way. So we won't use the term suicide, but we would use the term of, you know, maybe some of these uh, um, deep meditators who choose when they exit. You know, essentially, that's a suicide. You know, I'm choosing yeah. when to leave. But they're doing it very, very consciously, and they're, they're sat in a lotus position, and they exit the body. Um, you know, when, uh, when Bob Monroe... Uh, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross basically championed the, the whole hospice movement. Um, she worked a lot with people who were terminally ill and and um, and really saw them as people and not just numbers and patients as they were at the time. So, um, And she was listening to their stories and there, some of them who were resuscitated or had just dipped their toe in an afterlife and came back had told her these stories, like I've experienced something beyond and... Um, and it was really safe and peaceful and whatever else. And I got her really curious. So she went to the Monroe Institute and had her own experiences and worked on a series with Bob Monroe referred to as the uh, the Going Home series. And so th this was a, um, a set of, of um, uh, binaural bead, you know, hemisync exercises which were designed to help a terminally ill person to gain experience of, of transitioning consciously and possibly even staying out you know the, the the normally we have signals at the end of our audio tracks that bring people back and uh, and these don't you know they just tail off they don't bring you back and and so you can choose to stay out there if you wanted to and then the, there's another album which is for uh, the the caregivers or family and so on who can get used to the uh, the territory of moving in and out and and perhaps uh, meeting the person once they've transitioned. So this you know it's still an exercise of free will to be able to choose your your transition point. And then we see it also in near death literature where um, somebody perhaps is going through a tunnel experience or something like that, and they meet their relatives who deceased and and they're, they're saying you know you need to go back. And now we, we're not really sure here because it seems like there's a restriction of free will because they want to carry on staying in the afterlife and the family or whoever it is is saying, no, no, you've still got stuff to do, go back. So there's an alignment with the, or a misalignment there with the higher self that's saying, I've still got stuff to do on earth, so back you go. Um, whereas, you know, there could be some people, we don't know this because obviously they don't come back and tell us who maybe at that point, uh, decision point were able to actually just stay out there so th there's there's still a lot of choice in the system you know you can always um you can always have another go as it were <laughs> so yeah and, and it's open to that yeah that's so interesting yeah the, and the uh, that goes also for the birth i mean obviously that is mm -hmm. the higher self or uh, another dimensional aspect of ourselves that makes the choice to uh, incarnate into have, having this denser experience, right? Yeah, and and that that can that becomes complicated because you know there's two camps of thought on that one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one is okay. I have a, a favorable birth. I choose what I want to go into and what I want to experience. And that favorable might be that I haven't actually experienced what it's like to um, grow up in a place where it's I'm surrounded by death and suffering. So you know, I'm choosing that. Uh, so it's favorable from one perspective, but it might not be from another. Yeah. Right. So th there's definitely choice there. But then there's also the addictive reentries. 
you know, where people, oh, I just need to do this. You know, I've got unfinished business and I'm right back into the system again without really passing go. You know, it's just like, so that planning was very, very limited. It was just, you know, here's a tendency. I need to get back in as fast as possible because th that wasn't completed. And, and and you meet some people who have, who are going through that because they go through the same problems throughout their life in cycles. You know, it might be that they're always in the same problematic relationships for instance no matter who they get with and they might be saying you know what why do i always have this happen well you know <laughs> it's like why do i always find you know that, that my boyfriends are like this or whatever is that like, well unfortunately there is something that you're kind of attracting to that party as well right so this is also where it becomes quite difficult because there's a personal responsibility element to it but it's also surrendering a free will to think that the universe is punishing you you know there are certain things that you can peel back from and say you know hmm, maybe maybe i'm wearing a sweatshirt as they call it in transactional analysis you know that at the point at the front it says love me and at the back it says kick me yeah, so what am I presenting and what am I actually saying at a different level of, of this message? Yeah. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's the choice or the, you know, like I, anyone who listens to my other podcasts will know that I say that the choice is a superpower, right? <laughs> and once you become aware of that choice, which is, you know, for some people, take quite, it takes quite a while to get to that point to realize that they have choice. Um, then also have to realize that they are responsible for their choices, which kind of makes them uh, a little pissed off with themselves because they've made all these choices throughout their lives that they haven't been uh, consciously aware of uh, making those choices, whereas they have been consciously aware of them uh, because they've led them to exactly where they are supposed to be, right? Yeah, and, and this is, you know, why uh, you see that perhaps in like 20% of cases of, of, of people who, who are practicing mindfulness, they have what are called negative experiences. Because w when they pull back from the direct experience, when they sink into that more knowing eye rather than the conceptual eye, they see the, the reality and maybe what they've created, how they've created it, because you see how thoughts are arising, um, and, uh, in a much more clear way. And they, ooh, I've been doing something that's been limiting myself for maybe 15, 20 years, you know, and that's oh negative. <laughs> that, that's a really restrictive knowing. You're like, oh, my God, I didn't really want to know that. I thought this was supposed to relax me and give me all this peace and harmony and so on. But actually, as you show me that the person I've been with for the last 15 years oof, isn't really good for me, you know, so this then then you have <laughs> then you have a choice, right? Then you can you can say, OK, well, I, I, I flow with that or I make other decisions but the, you know the, this is where we l try to leave the judgment out of it as much as possible and when you make choices and you're responsible for the choices that's very different to blaming somebody for making a choice you've made a choice and that's it you get feedback from that do something with the feedback you know in lp they often talk about there's no failure only feedback and and i, I totally agree with that you know you you, you how, how else are you going to know how to do something you know you you you've, you fail more times than you succeed so just keep going you know you're taking that information and you're calibrating yourself and that's kind of what consciousness is doing as well it just takes feedback and he says well how can i express myself in a more emergent way and when you look at how consciousness evolves it's leading to more emergent levels of possibility so 
this is something that's come out, you know, and, and Tim Freak's wonderful at describing this. So, you know, the, the, maybe we can put his name in the chat or something like that. Sure. But he, he often um, talks about how, you know, 500 years ago, everyone was cleaving each other's heads off with axes and, and swords and whatever else. It's like now consciousness has evolved to the point where we're more emergent than that. And actually, when we see atrocities, we, we reject them. We say, no, we, we need to do better than this. So although we might be seeing things that we don't like, the fact that we considered them to be things that we don't like is actually evidence that consciousness is evolving into a more emergent paradigm. So this is also part of that feedback system. Yeah. Carol, you've got your hand up, so I don't want to hold you up as long as last time. <laughs> Thank you very much, Luigi. And, uh, wow, this is a really great conversation. And I'm super happy to be here and be able to ask questions. And Luigi, as a hypnotherapist and you as a hypnotherapist, I would like to get your opinion on the relationship between subconscious mind, the higher self and conscious mind. Before maybe I ask your to, to describe your opinion, I'm going to share a little bit of my understanding so you can correct me or say like, oh, you know, I'm completely rubbish at this. <laughs> so, so, so when, I, when I think about like this relationship between higher self, ego state or conscious mind and then like subconscious mind, I look at this as kind of skyscraper with some kind of um, levels in the basement. And basically we can be at one level, like, you know, the, our conscious mind, the, the way we are aware it's at one story and we can move through, you know, we can catch elevator or can take stairs and go on the seventh floor or 21st floor, or we can go to basement. And basically this is kind of way to no way of knowing and navigating through that many levels of conscious of consciousnesses of our, our parts of ourselves. And I just wonder like what is your view on that? How would you describe those relationships between those parts of us? Um I wouldn't necessarily see it as a skyscraper, but I, I can see why it would um or how you could conceptualize it like that, because that's how it feels. That there's there's something that's more conscious and therefore it comes to the, a, a, a particular surface and then there's these other things in the basement and so on. Um, my understanding is more of uh, expansion and contraction. And, and so when I have a really restricted focus, then I get caught up in a story of, of my ego self. And, and I suffer from that. <laughs> I tell myself, oh, I'm this, I'm that, you know, I'm so stupid, why did I do this and, and all that. That's very restricted focus, very narrow. When, when I start to expand that, that, that focus, then I can sink into this deeper being that has that experience, but it also has this at the same time. So I can, I can become aware of my knowing eye at the same time as being this conceptual eye. Yeah, that, that there's this sense of separate self and then there's this oneness that sits behind it at the same time. And where the, um, where the, what we do really with hypnosis or one of the things that we do is we, we, um, we guide somebody's focusing. Yeah, how, how they're noticing in this moment. 
So right now you might be really on a problem space and that's why you're in therapy. But have you noticed this and have you noticed that? And to begin with, we might help them to notice that their, their breath is a little bit tight. So how what happens if you release that a little bit? What happens if you start to notice that your shoulders can drop from there to there? You know, and, and all of this then frees up and it just pulls them back a little bit more. And where you have the, the personal subconscious, these are the things that are just outside of somebody's uh, conscious awareness, but that maybe you could retrieve. So the, the personal subconscious would be things like um, what you had for dinner yesterday, right? It's, it's, it's there, but maybe you've got to just think about it a little bit and then you'll retrieve it or the last place you went on holiday or whatever like that so it's it's you know you can it's within your grasp but you need to send the messengers to go and get that data yeah so that's the personal subconscious and some of our influences and and habits and so on reside within the personal subconscious there's just something that hasn't been updated that might have worked when you were 5 but doesn't work when you're 35 Right. So that that's, you know, where a model needs to be updated, because sometimes the subconscious can get itself into loops. Right. Because he just says, well, that protected you. That seemed to work. So just keep doing more of that. And then uh, because doing something different might seem a little bit scary. Right. That's the exercise of the free will. As I said, it's different. It's going to be cutting edge. It's going to feel scary. Therefore, do something I already knew. People in, in uh, toxic relationships, for instance, are in that loop. Because they don't know what being outside of that toxic relationship looks like. They know what it's like to be in it, even though they don't like it. But they know it. there's a safety in that. There's not safety in stepping into the unknown. Therefore, I stay within the toxic relationship. And that's a habit from the subconscious. And the conscious mind will start to create a story around why that's, the, why that's a good idea and so on. And then there's things that reside within the unconscious. Now, these are things that are outside of you being able to retrieve them immediately. And that's what we tend to access uh, with with maybe regression or something like that in hypnosis, where we go and look at you know maybe where there's certain habits of thinking and 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 emotion, where there's any sorts of restrictions in, within that individual that are outside of them being able to retrieve it. So these can be very distant memories, but they can also be maybe locked away emotions because you know bringing it's a bit emotions are a bit like Pandora's box. You know if if you lock one away, you tend to lock the lot. Um, so that's why people tend to feel flat um, it's like yeah I don't feel sad anymore but I don't feel happy either so I have this kind of flat affect um, and maybe re retrieving a happy memory might retrieve sadness as well so you let all of it out the box and, and this is kind of something that can be done very very gently um, and then you've got essentially the realm of the higher self which would be part of I would say the unconscious but you're tapping more into what we call the collective unconscious, as Jung would describe it, where you're, you're going beyond your own conceptual boundaries and maybe tapping into something that's a lot more collective. So you're really in this, in this kind of potentiality space. Um, but it still has this separate sense of self a little bit. You know, there's there's still a goal for this, uh, you know, for Carol to be doing or Christopher or whatever. So the, there's the, 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 the biases towards... Um, facilitating movement and growth within um, that particular expression of self uh, as, as that individual, if that makes any sort of sense. And you can sink back 
further and further into any of these, but this is the one that makes the decision in this reality, which is why it's important not to just dismiss this conceptual eye, um, because it's it's the 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 guy on the ground, you know, and and so you know, th this is the one playing with this dense vibration, and that can't be done from. Um, only from being in this elevated space. You know, when I, when I was giving the talk with Mind Valley, I referred to it as being the difference between being in the crow's nest of a ship and being the captain of the ship behind the controls. You know, you can gather information, you can gather a, a broader perspective by being in the crow's nest, but you can't steer the ship from there. This is where the level that it has to be done. Um, just looking at your question, Pamela, which is where does something like schizophrenia reside? Um, well... Schizophrenia is a poorly defined um, um, uh, condition anyway. You know, it's kind of like a, a pink unicorn in the... And, and I refer you to the work of people like Richard Bentall, um, who wrote the book Madness Explained, to, to really get a grasp of, of how, how limited that, that category, that label is. But I would say that schizophrenia um, falls into the category of not knowing which reality you're in. It's almost as if all the radio stations are on and you don't know which one you're listening to. So here, like in in and in the Monroe Institute system, we talk about now uh, we use a phasing model, which is kind of like saying that um, you can, with your mind, with your consciousness, you can learn to turn a radio dial to tune into a particular frequency. And right now we're tuned into this vibration, this frequency, which we'll call, you know, Radio One, Station One, or C One consciousness in in Monroe speak. So we know we're here now. We're not always aware of being here, though, because sometimes we can be daydreaming, right? And almost half the time, as studies show, we are daydreaming, so we're not actually always in phase with Radio 1. Um, and, and so that might start to move us into two or three, right? And we talk about focus levels, so these different states of consciousness, like focus 10, the state of mind, away, body, asleep, and so on, which is like turning the radio dial. Now, if you don't know that you've got a radio and you don't know that you turn the dial and 1, 10, 12 and 15 are on all at once, then you might struggle to know how to translate that information, that data and apply it in that reality because it's, it's all a garbled mess. So that's really where I see um, something like schizophrenia, that the that the, the all the radio stations are on, they just don't know which reality they're in. And it can become incredibly uh, confusing and it creates a lot of fear. And there are uh, certain cultures that um, support schizophrenia much, much better than we do in the, in the West where we immediately medicalize it. Now, I'm not saying that uh, medicines are, uh, don't have a place, you know, but th th that shouldn't be the only treatment. And, and so you, you get that maybe to calm somebody down and, and help them to sleep and whatever else that they need. Um, but then something that helps them to integrate those experiences can be very, very useful. And, and somebody like uh, um, Stan Groff, for instance, did tons of work and research on this and uh, he talked about the concept of spiritual emergency where in in uh, western cultures people would be would be categorized as schizophrenic and and in perhaps some some eastern uh, cultures for instance um, and, and various uh, shamanic traditions and so on this person would be guided into uh, integrating that experience because they're able to straddle various worlds so um yeah, I hope that answers your question, Pamela. Um, 
in some some way. Yeah, no, I think that describes it very well to me. And you see it from, you can kind of see it from the perspective of someone who's uh, having those experiences. So yeah. really appreciate that. I was thinking, going back to what you were talking about, lucid dreaming and experiencing the self, if we, as you say, you draw that out to the crow's nest and the ship, uh, to the collective consciousness, if we resided only in the collective consciousness, we wouldn't be able to experience ourselves because there would be nothing as a reference point. Uh, it is when we come down into to from this perspective that we can actually experience ourselves because I'm experiencing myself through you or Carol or anyone else or you know the lamp I have over here or something like that. It, it gives me a reference point, right? Mm. So yeah, the the um, I'm just trying to think what. Yeah, there's there's the reference point, and there's also the ability to actually express something new, and you know, because potentiality is just that is potentiality. It's only when it's expressed that it's it's you know it's actually moving beyond the potentiality into being. So this is uh, where maybe the term human being is actually quite accurate. That's what we do. We bring the being into expression and, and from that potentiality. And that's what we're doing all the time, right? So it's, it's absolutely fine, though, to, to, to sink back into the deeper self, to get some maybe some direction, to be nudged in a particular space and, you know, to feel that actually everything's safe. So you go ahead and make some decisions from that. Um, but this is where we, we create and, and co-create and play that game where um, we feel cut off from others, but actually we're all, we're all co-creating um, all the time, all the time. So, yeah, it does give you that reference point in being able to observe the other but uh, and at the same time uh, bring that po uh, potentiality into being, into expression. So the potentiality, the way I look at it is really the once we go out into a different state of consciousness, there is no limit to potentiality. There is no limit to the potential. Um, you know, if, you, if we go back a thousand years, the concept of having this discussion or going on an airplane or, you know, going in a car or whatever, that was, mm -hmm. you, you proposed that and you, yeah, you'd be... Uh, locked away or burnt at the stake or something like that so the but you go back to leonardo da vinci he clearly was convinced that his machine at some point was going to fly but he he hadn't put all the components together but he had the design he had the idea it came from somewhere right so it came from a a potential for an experience in this reality it was going to take another 600 years before it actually came to reality but the potential existed somewhere and he was able to draw it in at a, you know in terms of this linear time thinking at a much earlier state than uh, we were actually manifesting it into physical reality yeah. so in terms of how can we use the idea of the potentiality to expand our own thinking expand our own experience and expand into what we manifest for ourselves in terms of our experiences yeah okay well first of all um 
I'm just making a note there. You don't have to go anywhere to get access to the potentiality. It's right here. This is it. It's expressing itself right now. <laughs> the, the, you know, that, that, that's everything arises from the potentiality. This is it. This is the potentiality. What we're doing right now is the potentiality expressing itself. That means that any thought you have is arising from the potentiality. Every action that you make, every emotion that you have, whatever it is, is constantly arising from that potentiality. It's expressing itself. It's, it's gathering more information than it had just before. Right, so the the the, the uh, Tim Freak often refers to it as an accumulation of the past. Right, there's yeah. more past now than there was before, and so on. So that's the exp uh, the potentiality expressing itself. So you don't have to go anywhere. Right, the thoughts that you're having arise from the potentiality. Now catch the yes buts. Right, someone like Da Vinci probably didn't do much yes butting. Right, <laughs> he just got it out. He just did it. Whatever came up, yeah, I'm interested in that. I'll go and explore it. Why does this work like that? I don't know. Let's go find out. How does the heart pump blood around? I don't know. Let's go see one. And so on and so forth. Yeah, so there's a great curiosity. What we tend to do, which restricts the uh, the expression of the potentiality, is have those thoughts and then go, uh, yeah, but uh, maybe that's not a great idea. Or somebody else has done that before. Maybe I'm, I haven't got the skill set to do that. I need to go and learn more and whatever else. So we, we, we censor ourselves. We limit ourselves. And it's catching that talk. That's the bit. That's Those are the conditions of work that perhaps we've we've absorbed and inherited and that's that's the thing that can restrict uh, choice and, and free will yeah so th those are the things to watch out for you know what are you saying how are you self-censoring mm -hmm. because that's the restriction of the potentiality right there so if you want to know how to how to increase potentiality just let it flow yeah but what stops it from flowing <laughs> so maybe maybe find a, a a part of your room uh and and just let things flow i mean the the, the disney method or at least a version of, of the disney method is probably one of the most useful you know he, he had a version walt where he would go to a particular part of his house or the study or whatever and and he had this dreamer and that would just create unfiltered so he just scribble things on a piece of paper and just get it all down. And then he would take that to an inner critic version that would look at those ideas and say, mm, do I really like them? Does anything need to change? And he would go back and forth between the dream. He would physically move location. <laughs> you might want to try this at home. Right? <laughs> Until you've got that kind of, yeah, there's an agreement between my dreamer and the inner critic. So I'm in alignment with myself. And then you go to another area where you've got the outer judge. Yeah, and say, is, is society ready for this? How is this going to be received? Mm, maybe the outside world, I mean, it's still inner because you don't know how the outside's going to really uh, receive it, but you know, you can have a, a, an okay guess, I suppose. So, once there's alignment between the three, then your idea goes to market. You know, that's how we used to do his cartoons and, and whatever else he used to create. So, you can do a version of that, you know, just get it all out, see where you take your mind and where it can go. Think something re really ridiculous and then add a bit, and, and, and you're expressing the potentiality in, in whatever way it needs to you know it's when we start saying okay well yeah but what does this add to consciousness on the whole how does it improve my life experience how do i monetize this how do i make a career out of it what will people around me think etc etc you've censored yourself mm -hmm. yeah so and, and oftentimes yeah no and oftentimes i find when you work 
it's it's almost like you you need to have it validated like you say how can i make money of it? how can i you know what are others going to say it's you need that external validation uh in order to trust whatever you're trying to manifest right so you know like we were talking about spoon bending before if you think that you're not going to be able to bend the spoon with you know or connect with the spoon and bend it like it was clay then yes that's going to be true right yeah but if you believe that you can do it then that will then take at least open the door to the potentiality of being able to do that mm -hmm. and it's uh and it's the paradox of uh in order to trust you have to suspend disbelief yeah. but we are conditioned in at least in most societies in the West uh, that I'm familiar with, we're conditioned to that unless you see it validated in the external world, don't trust it. Mm -hmm. But in actual fact, you have to trust it before it, it can validate. But th th this happens at such an early early age. Um, you know, th there's a wonderful book by Alfie Cohn called Punished by Rewards, um, which, you know, anyone at home, feel free to read that. Because, you know, th this is where um, we're immediately socialized in schools and even by parents and they're, they're well-meaning. But if, if you want to um, move from a an internal, what's called a locus of evaluation or, uh, and, and locus of control, right? So I, I do this because I want to do it for myself to an external one, then you reward somebody for something that they would be doing for themselves anyway. So a kid draws a picture, you go and you say, oh, that's a really wonderful picture here, have a gold star. Right, now the kid says, mm, I get a gold star out of this, or an ice cream, you know, something that motivates them. Right, now now they, they're no longer creating that picture because they'd like to create that picture, but they're creating it because they want a reward. So it's contingent on that. And think of our, you know, the whole schooling system. I mean, unfortunately, I mark essays for the course and that I teach and whatever else. We don't do that on Monroe, but, <laughs> you know, the. the uh, now for the college, you know, we, we, we make things contingent on, on, on passing an exam or being paid a particular amount or, you know, being in a relationship, whatever it is. But if you look at kids, I mean, who was it, Eva, that we had just before? Her kid painted the wall, <laughs> drew on it, right? That, that kid wasn't looking for an external validation. It just went, there's a canvas, here's a crayon, I'm going for it, <laughs> All right? That's what kids do. They're expressing potentiality. They just do it. yeah. And they'll just say, hey, look at that. And it could be a wonderful poo that they've had. And they think that's amazing, right? And then, you know, and then, then we put conditions on it. We go, we, we don't tend to celebrate that, dear. <laughs> right? <laughs> but well done. <laughs> yes. We'll do a lap of honor around the potty and that's it. Right? So then, then, you know, it's like, well, when you get to 18, you've got to stop doing that. <laughs> so this is, you know, how we start making things contingent. Yeah. And, and, and you can tell that people don't really buy into some of these things because, you know, like adults will watch cartoons. Right. But they've got to be pitched in a particular way. <laughs> you know, you can't watch Peppa Pig, but you can watch Monsters, Inc. You know, that's OK. And he's like, oh, but you watch your cartoon. So we'll watch it on Netflix where it's hidden inside my house. Right. <laughs> so this is this is something where, you know, the, the, the ability and the desire to want to express 
is is surrounded and encapsulated and kind of restricted by what we think others are going to say about it and 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 that's internal judgment right because we haven't got it from somebody else and if somebody judge you on it then who really cares how much does that actually impact on your life yeah now you might think okay well it really impacts on my life if my boss judges that badly because he or she might fire me Right, okay, in which case then you have to play the game within those conditions of worth. Okay, but with other things you don't have to. So you can actually even compartmentalize certain areas of your life where you have more free will and expression than in others. You know, because sometimes, you know, you might be in a situation where you have three kids and you have to hold down two jobs and, and the choice of doing anything different is very, very restricted and limited. You just got to do that. But you can find maybe something else for yourself in, in some something else and, and the story that you tell yourself and the suffering and so on can be can be changed in a very very light way you know you can carve out some kind of peace and and, and joy in um in your time uh, even in those sorts of situations so th this is you know where we we look at um um the, the stories we tell ourselves yeah, and, and, and then the, the conditions that we live by you know the, a lot of them are self-imposed it's um you know there isn't somebody all the time telling you um do this and don't do this i mean even just watching the news you, you're more than likely turning it on to watch it it's not being piped in this isn't quite 1984 where the tv has to be switched on and you have to do your exercise in front of it we are actively seeking out the things that restrict us because of habits yeah. you could do something different i feel it becomes a question of awakening to the fact that we have free will and potentiality in order to uh, do the things that we actually desire from every different aspect of ourselves. So once we do that, then, and someone was asking the question on Facebook in terms of, you know, that in a, in a voice that the soft, gentle voice that, or uh, feeling or whatever that, that then indicate which direction you should go as in intuition or you know information from your higher self or whatever it may be if you people talk about spirit guides and so forth um so that then becomes the interaction between free will and the potentiality in terms of you know what even if my boss is going to fire me i know it's going to be okay because this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, check, we have check that. that. Check yeah. that. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> because so, sometimes people go with their with their gut instincts, and they get themselves into some serious trouble. Yeah. Um, and and you know, like uh, I mean, this this comes up time and again. If if I was to say to somebody uh, who was suicidal, go with your gut, then they'll probably kill themselves. Yeah. You know. So it isn't. It, it's it's about gathering information mm -hmm. you know if that use that soft voice and that inner feeling whatever you want to describe it and then what's in in here and not just so that this shouts louder than the the, the inner voice but that you're in in a co-creative process it's extra information that you didn't have if you just stayed up here in your head mm -hmm. but i wouldn't say delegate completely to whatever's happening in your gut feeling and your intuition because that might be based on conditions of worth and so on as well so it's it's all a training process 
And then once you can really trust that information, you say, actually, yeah, I went with that information in a very gentle way, and I found out that it, it led to uh, something that was beneficial for me. So then the next time it arises, I can trust it more. So bit by bit, you can start to attune your your inner guidance system. You know, you can, you can tune in your compass, as it were. Um, but do it very gently, you know. It doesn't have to be telling your boss on Monday to shove it. You know, you can you can do it uh, step by step and start to trust the process. Yeah, that that wouldn't be the compassionate thing to do anyway. Perhaps indeed, indeed. telling tell, tell your boss to shove it. Uh, but the uh, we're going to go to you in a second there, Eva. But the but that goes can stem back to the conundrum of the uh, trust paradox. That in order to um, to have that trust, you have to take that leap of faith yeah. uh, in order to gain that trust, because it's not going to give you that validation until you actually trust it, until you actually follow the guidance. So, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps start out with small things. Yes. Not, you know, jump yeah. or telling your boss to shout, uh, boss to shout it. <laughs> right. I mean, you'll learn very rapidly. Yeah. Uh, what to trust and what not if you did that. But yeah, the, the, the safest bet, the most comfortable path is probably one where you're doing things in baby steps. You yeah. know, it's a bit like, uh, you know, if, if you watch trapeze artists practicing, right? They have to be high up in the sky and then they swing from one trapeze to another and they, they have to let go of one to catch the other and there's uncertainty in that. But you don't start by putting them, you know, 100 foot in the air. <laughs> <laughs> right you start quite low with the net <laughs> practice 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 yeah until you've got the motion right and it's just muscle memory and then you start taking it up higher maybe even then you remove the net afterwards okay so it's very very gentle you know don't mm. don't do massive leaps because there's no need to do that life doesn't necessarily put you into situations where you have to make such major decisions all the time so you know that they're usually a little bit of a heads up in terms of um being able to apply things gently um well, I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience with this because I've been playing a lot with these realities and um, kind of dropping into more of an integrated awareness. And so in that kind of space, I don't feel limited by context. So it feels like there's a context that I'm playing in, but it's not like it's restricting, whereas the mind would feel restricted maybe, but it's just a place to express, as you were saying, Luigi. Um, but the being that I am is not limited in that context. And there's like this acceptance of what is and what's here and this sense of, of creatorship that I'm likely to create some additional context. Um, and it could be creating life in like any kind of way. Um, so it's, it's very empowered and, um, and there's, there's like imaginations that are happening, but it's also based on desire, like what I would actually care about, then I would go in and create that. But I, I don't feel like any sort of restriction because there's, the context that I'm in. Although when I'm in the mind state, the mind feels very restricted and victimized by that, but not to the inner being. Yeah. yeah. And the more you more you sink into and tap 
into that space, the easier it will be to translate that into this um, right. conceptual sense of self. Um, so right. then, then you can start to trust that oh, maybe I can take a few of those ideas from that deeper self and and apply them in this reality without the risks and and maybe even some of the the conditions and judgments and so on. And and you know you 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 mentioned about desire and using the imagination uh, for that. And the thing, you know, I I I take the the way you use the word desire, I would take that to mean need. You know, what do I really need in this moment is slightly different because the, 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 there's certain things that we want from an ego perspective because we think that that might mean that we become a, a better person in some way or whatever it is. But then when we sink into that deeper eye, we really get in touch with the needs. You know, what is it that I actually need in this moment? And that's slightly different. And sometimes, you know, the, the languaging equates the two, but there's a subtle, uh, actually, I think there's more than just a subtle difference there. So when, when um, like, advertising works by taking that need and hijacking it into that desire, because it says right. the, the reason why you're not the person you are right now is because you don't have this car and this phone, right? Now, that's not true. <laughs> right that yeah. will not improve your sense of self but if you go into like well what what do i really need at this moment in time then that might help to translate some of that energy from that um that that uh, knowing guy into this conceptual sense of self um yeah so i think i'm going a little beyond that kind of desire that you talked about like the mm -hmm. egoic i want this i want that that's attachment yes. Um, and then there's what you actually need. Like I need to eat, I need to breathe air, but then there's like the desire of, um, wanting to self, wanting to express beingness and yeah. these deeper desires are, um, that's what I was kind of referring to. Yeah, yeah. I, I can like envision that in the spiritual realm. And what I've been told is that, or what I've understood is that um, those desires being there, we create like a, um, it's, it's there because we're meant to experience it. And so by opening and requesting that and choosing that and surrendering to it, then it comes in and then we can experience it in the material world. Yeah. So it's a, it's a totally different type of desire. Yeah, um, it's... Um, we're talking about the same thing, and and I still call that a need. Okay. I'm taking that from from uh, Maslow's perspective. So right. we have these basic needs, which are all about survival and and feeding yourself, food, water, shelter, all that kind of stuff. And then we start moving up the up the the uh, pyramid as as he created. So the hierarchy of needs. So you have esteem needs, you know, so connecting with uh, a social environment and so on. And then you have love needs. You know, which is deep. Now that can really vary because you can have um, certain different types of love and and connection, right? And and then you you get to self actualization, which is the the expressing your full potential, right? So that's that kind of territory that you were talking about. And then there's there's also added to this is the self transcendent need where it goes beyond your own boundaries to something greater than your individual sense of self. 
So what we like, for instance, what you guys are doing right now is is self transcendent in the sense that even having these recordings and coming and talking is like, how do I improve myself? But maybe how do I improve my wider community and and take this out to the world and really create something um, that goes beyond me as an individual? That's a self transcendent function, and and this is kind of what we get nudged at with uh, when we sink into the higher self. The higher self's game is 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 that self-transcendent quality, which is to say, okay, how can we um, collectively and and raise the 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 um, the decision space in the whole system, you know, so that how can we make the potentiality even greater so that it can express even more, and and this is done through the the self-transcendent function. So this is, you know, maybe because we're talking exactly the same language, Eva, you know, so have, have a look at maybe Maslow if you've not come across his work. But also yeah. added to that, uh, the work of Viktor Frankl, because he talks more about the self-transcendence. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, the, 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 the two complement each other incredibly well. Yeah. So it's legacy, it's what, what carries on after, you know, it's what we want to, you know, the, the, the having children, for instance, passes on, it, it goes into the self-transcendent because you, you're leaving something that goes beyond yourself. You know, eventually you will you will perish and your children will continue and then they will love, uh, you know, uh, as humanity goes, you know, it, it progresses that way. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you look at when you sit in meditation or in hypnosis, or actually even when you're asleep and uh, but in meditation, for example, when you move into that space of void mm -hmm. where you experience the need or desire of nothing, that everything exa is exactly as it should be, uh, as you know, you just there is no desire, there is no need, there is no want, mm -hmm. right? And then you come out of that, you come back into this experience, and then all of those uh, things come back into focus again because that is part of this experience. But when you move back into experiencing that void, it all dissolves and disappears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, you... that's the movement from uh, duality to non-duality. Yeah. You know, from, from the non-dual perspective, then everything's perfect. You know, everything else is, you know, you, there's nothing to be gained, nothing to be done. Um, but we play a dual game here, you know, and that's, uh, and that's what we do. You know, we're, we're constantly expressing that potentiality in, in multiple ways. And, um, but we can also see by sinking back into that non-dual perspective that that's all we're doing, you know, that, that it, we can take the pressure off having to do things in a particular way when we come into the dual perspective again, that this is... Uh, how things must be done and these people think better than those people that all of that is invalidated when you sink into the non-dual perspective it's like actually it's just expression yeah. right so that this is you know something that is quite useful especially if you find that you're at loggerheads with with other people and their belief systems and whatever else it's um it might help to cultivate a, a little bit of empathy and compassion as well yeah and it is uh challenging when you when you go between those states and you come back into this and it's uh, how do you ground yourself back into this reality with all the needs and wants and uh, when you have experienced that void of desiring and needing nothing and just being at one with everything and uh, i think that's a 
that's a, one of the first challenges and one experience once I come back from that is to come back and say, you know what, it is okay to have those needs and wants. And mm -hmm. that is the experience that we're having here. All right. Yeah. And uh, I think just knowing that the potentiality and the, uh, or we have the free will to express our potentiality in whatever way we uh, like mm. um, that if people can uh, just tap into that uh, aspect of themselves that then liberates them from the shackles of uh, or uh, con uh, containment of uh, uh, you know our programming or conditioning or what have you so Luigi, do you have any suggestions as to how people can awaken that within themselves? Clearly, if they're here or listening to this, uh, they're probably on that journey well, you know, already. I mean, but, yeah, they're probably you know, on that. Meditate as, as often as you can, you know, yeah. just step back from your experience as often as you can. Be engaged with life as much as you can, but in a very conscious way. Deliberate, slow things down a little bit. <laughs> You know, get out into nature, but really connect with it. Because otherwise, the left brain category will just say tree, but not that tree. That's where you shift back into the right brain. So to really be present in what you're doing is, is how you can then start to notice um, more of what's going on in this moment, which is where that voice is going to be coming in, um, which is, you know, as somebody said on Facebook, is, is a, quite a, a low, quiet, soft voice. Um, and, and you start to calibrate that. And the other thing is, you know, the more you meditate with these uh, and possibly even going into more expanded states of consciousness, not to disappear from this reality, but just to get that wider overview can be really useful so that you can get out of your story a little bit to say that it's okay. And, and you know, you make a really great point there because when, um, when you sink into that oneness, and then you come back, you, there can be this kind of like, well, I want to get back into that. This is really heavy. But that's where you came from. That's always there in the background. You you don't lose connection to that. That's you, right? That's that's always there in the background. But this isn't. You know, this is the very temporary aspect of the self. So enjoy it as much as you can. You don't know that actually here you are designed to go and experience and express in whatever way you can. So make of it what you can and enjoy it as much as possible. And of course, there's going to be ups and downs, and that's fine. That's part of the process as well. But enjoy the, the ups and, and maybe, you know, acknowledge the downs, and that's all right as well. Um, and, and this will then, you know, help to sort of get you here more, you know, and, 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 and see where you go with that. Because, as I said, that, that wider bit is always available. It's just there. That's where you come from. So I like the idea of having out-of-body experiences and lucid dreams, but only insofar as they help me to get even more out of this physical life experience. Because yeah. this is the temporary bit. Yeah. The out-of-body is where I'm from. Yeah, it's where you're all from. So you can get the wider perspective from that. But, you know, if it then substitutes you being here, then you've missed the trick <laughs> from my perspective. Yeah, Maybe well, it becomes about really aligning that experience with your yes. physical expression. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So the, uh, yeah, one, one thing I've often talk, always talk about is to practice in meditation to observe your experiences from a perspective of your awareness. Yeah. So that you are, you're not disassociated, but you are uh, the observer as opposed to the the person or the the aspect of yourself that reacts 
you, you're not the reaction, you're not the thought, you're the aspect of yourself that is observing the thought and observing the emotions. Um, because then you don't necessarily need to label it good or bad, but it just is. It simply is something that you are experiencing and then you can, mm -hmm. it doesn't disrupt you in terms, you know, if you quote unquote have a bad experience, it's not going to disrupt you from having a full experience with it. It might be uh, uncomfortable, but you recognize it as just an experience and that it is an uncomfortable experience because you're learning about yourself. You're learning about how you, yourself in this reality. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a comment there, which is a great way to do a plug, but I'll, I'll, I'll do this uh, tactfully. Uh, <laughs> no, be, be as uh, tacky as you want. <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, you know, um, in the beginning I was talking about the Monroe Institute and, and uh, Pamela here is saying that she wants to go deep but not knowing where to begin. Um, yeah, the, the first thing I would suggest is, is to download our app um, called Expand and it's on both Android and, and Apple uh, stores. And that really will, will, if you've not done any meditation before, but even if you have, because we have this technology that supports um, your brainwaves uh, to be able to hold these expanded states of consciousness, um, you, can, you can find that um, very, very useful. There's a lot of exercises in that that you can play around with. Um, and, and some of those are to do with relaxation and sleep, and, and then it goes all the way to beyond the physical explorations in bilocations and all that kind of cool stuff. So we really span the spectrum there. Um, and then from that, I mean, you know, we also run uh, residential programs. So if you go to the Monroe Institute website, which is monroeinstitute.org, or if in the UK you're interested in the programs that I, I run, uh, it's monroeinstituteuk.org, um, you, can, you can find out uh, what sort of events, weekend workshops and, and week-long programs uh, that we're running. And th but the, the, the key element with those is that it just creates a space where you come out of your typical... Uh, day-to-day um, -day reality so that you can explore yourself at a much deeper level and and that's usually done with the uh, in in group settings so that you can connect with others who are sharing a, a journey with you at that moment um, so that those are the kind of areas that I would recommend starting but the the expand app you know we've really made that so that um, people from who've never had any experience of meditation and people who have done a lot of meditation can all get something out of it. So that's probably the first place I would, I would recommend and just have a play with it. I think it's it's only like fifty dollars a year or something. Well, right? it's yeah, it's got that kind of price. I can't remember what it is in in you. I think it's seventy dollars uh, for the oh, year. But um, the. Um, but there's a lot of free exercise in it anyway. So if you want to dip your toe and try it out. And, you know, at the Monroe Institute, we, we are a not-for-profit organization. We do a lot of research on consciousness. We do lots of programs. And uh, so that all of that is, is just funded our research and, and our mission, essentially, to, to get this awareness of you being more than your physical body out there. So, um, yeah, there's also going to be a community feature, which is going to be added to the app very soon as well. So we're, we're, we're always adding to it. Yeah. Excellent. Thank well, I uh, suppose that uh, rounds off our discussion uh, nicely. Uh, yeah. Pattern interrupt there. Um, so we can, uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I think the 
really brought out some uh, really good points and uh, allow people to look at their own potentiality and how they're exercising free will. And actually, you know, one of the, the challenges I had was when I kind of came to the understanding that, you know, there might be other aspects of me that are exercising free will. And I'm this consciousness that is right here right now is merely, you know, a conduit for channeling or channeling the communication between this experience up to some other aspects of me or into another aspect of me. Um, that was really challenging because then I was like, well, I'm not in charge here. But then you realize that it, I am in charge. It's just an aspect of myself that I'm in this reality I'm not conscious of. Uh, so the, that then becomes part of the, uh, the fun and the joy of saying, oh, I want to experience life from that aspect as well. Mm -hmm. um, so really allow yourself to look at, you know, your wildest dreams in terms of your potentiality and say, all right, what can we try out here? You know, in terms of exploring yourself. So the, the literally, as I said from before, uh, the beginning, when it comes to your potentiality in terms of experiencing yourself, there are no limits. It's virtually uh, infinite possibilities, as Mike Dooley would say. So do you want to, do you have any closing words there? Yeah, just have fun with this process. You know, you, you only wear that skin suit once. So, so go and enjoy it. Go and explore and, uh, and express yourself in, in whatever way you want. And if you find any restrictions to that, whose whose voice is that? Maybe maybe don't listen to it so much. You know, do do what you find joyful. Yeah. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you everybody for joining in and giving your insightful comments and uh, questions and uh, being part of this uh, discussion today. So as always, you bring beautiful energy, everybody, and uh, enjoy it tremendously. So, uh, and thank you, Luigi, for taking time out of your day to join yeah, us thank and you. Uh, thank you. share your pleasure. wisdom as uh, it's always appreciated so have a great day everybody and we'll see you later well, i certainly hope you enjoyed the uh, depth and uh, breadth of that discussion uh, luigi always brings a great level of wisdom and uh, intelligence to any of the conversations i have with him so uh, i feel that was definitely uh, very deep and very profound in many of the statements that, or descriptions that Luigi was able to impart with us. A lot of the lessons I would take away is that you know you can't realize your own potentiality and exercise your own free will unless you do the, the heavy lifting and do the work yourself to uh, really clear up the gunk as, as it were from uh, your, your own programming or your in own uh, conditioning from when you were younger. If you're interested in the uh, work that Luigi is doing and uh, learning a bit more about the programs that he has running, you can find him on www.monroeinstituteuk.org. That uh, website address again, www.monroeinstituteuk.org. And if you're interested in exploring uh, free will and potentiality as, as it applies to you individually or personally, 
uh, feel free to visit us at thealchemyexperience.co.uk and uh, click on the link to book a 30-minute free uh, consultation uh, to see what we can do for you. And thank you for listening this time at the uh, to the uh, Alchemy Experience podcast. Hope to see you uh, next week when we release a new episode, Fridays at 11.11 UK time. Take care now.